BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Bell Hooks, the feminist author, theorist, and culture critic, died Wednesday at her home in Berea, Kentucky. She was 69 years old. Before she was Bell Hooks, a guiding light for feminist thinkers, writers, and beyond, she was Gloria Jean Watkins, born in 1952, the daughter of a postal worker and homemaker in small, segregated Hopkinsville, Kentucky. While an undergraduate at Stanford, Hooks began writing her foundational work on black feminism, Ain't I a Woman, and published it in 1981 as she was earning her doctorate in literature from UC Santa Cruz. Hooks wrote her name in all lowercase letters to emphasize the substance of her writing and not the writer. Today, we remember both, and we're, bo- we're joined by Dr. Beverly Guy Sheftal, president of the Women's Center at Spelman College, professor of women's studies, and founding director of the Women's Research and Resource Center at Spelman College. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Guy Sheftal. Thank you for having me. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show to talk about your very dear friend of 40 years, uh, just days after her passing. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'm both uh, sad but joyous and thankful that um, Gloria, whom I still call Gloria, was with us (laughs) for 69 years and shared so much of herself with us. Yes. At the time you met Hook, she was Gloria. And so how did the two of you meet? It had a very interesting meeting. We were both at the National Women's Studies Association, 1981. You won't believe this, but Gloria came to the conference promoting her first book, Ain't I a Woman? And she did not have resources and a dorm room. And we bumped into each other. And I said, you can share my dorm room with me. And we literally uh, talked all night in my pitiful dorm room. And we've been talking ever since, 40 years. So that's how we met. Uh, Audre Lorde yeah. was there speaking, and it was an amazing gathering. Did you have a sense even then that you were talking with someone who you have credited with transforming feminist thought? Not then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, you know, we we were young. We were um, girls in some ways, even though we were adults. But no, I had no idea at this point what I. What I did realize is that she was courageous and also uh, resilient and also hard hitting, but had no idea that Gloria would turn out to be this iconic figure that I must now read and revere. 
Well, let me give listeners a sense of um, Bell Hooks and her foundational work, Ain't I a Woman, some of her thoughts on feminism. And uh, she writes, it is obvious that many women have appropriated feminism to serve their own ends, especially those white women who have been at the forefront of the movement. But rather than resigning myself to this appropriation, I choose to reappropriate the term feminism, to focus on the fact that to be feminist in any authentic sense of the term is to want for all people, male and female, liberation from sexist role patterns, domination and oppression. And of course, she's she's talking about not just all people, but all experiences, the importance of understanding the intersections of race and class and gender and their impact. and. It feels like now in academia, that's kind of a given, but, but how widely understood was this interaction of all of these different forces when Bell was writing about it in 1981? So in 1981, uh, probably this idea of intersectional feminism, which is actually an old 19th century concept, going back to Maria Stewart and Anna Julia Cooper and Ida Wells Barnett, but the extent to which a narrowly focused gender feminism, hegemonic feminism, white feminism, if you will, the extent to which that pervaded our notions of feminism would have meant that Bell's idea of feminism, which is the eradication of all isms, or what Kimberly Crenshaw coined as intersectionality, was probably less pervasive and, and which is why her work is so important. I wanna also mention, which doesn't get mentioned very much, her class politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of her most important books is about class, economic injustice, the plight of what we would now call essential workers. She constantly talked about her working class background. So she wasn't just talking about liberation for black people or people of color and women. She also really focused on um, racial capitalism and the evils of economic hierarchies that position working class everybody, even across color, at the bottom. It is something that she always made part of her critique. Whenever she talked about the interacting frameworks of isms, as you say, she always talked about it within the framework of an imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. So certainly the economic analysis was a really big part of it. You've also said that Bell saw patriarchy as the worst disease. What did you mean by that? Well, I, 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 don't, I, I think she meant the worst disease in, 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 the, in the sense of his pervasiveness, pervasiveness the idea that it was innocuous. And I'm going to say that that was perhaps particularly uh, the case within racial ethnic communities where racism or white supremacy are the perceived to be the most uh, harmful evils. And so one of the things that she wanted to talk about as well was that patriarchy resides in very many communities. And the other thing I think, which was extremely important, Patriarchy has no gender. 
Mm. In other words, you, 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 you know, it's not just about the presence of patriarchal men. It is about a system of male dominance that women also internalize and are complicit with. And I think that's what she meant when she talked about how, how toxic and evil patriarchy is. And it's connected to capitalism and white supremacy. Interesting. You're reminding me of this quote uh, from Bell Hooks in her work, Feminism is for Everybody, Passionate Politics. She writes, I still think it's important for people to have a sharp ongoing critique of marriage in patriarchal society, because once you marry within a society that remains patriarchal, no matter how alternative you want to be within your unit, there is still a culture outside you that will impose many, many values on you, whether you want them or not. Is that sort of what you're talking about, Dr. Guy Sheftall? Well, I think it's what she's, I think it was certainly what feminists talk about, that, that, that heterosexual marriages, which are predominantly heteronormative, also have embedded in them patriarchal norms. And she was very critical of the institution of marriage as have all feminists been going back to the 19th century. So this is not new. Right. That is the uh, critique of, of heterosexual marriage did as that, an institution. Did that perspective come from personal experience for her, experience of her siblings? I think not just from, the theoretical, yes. I think it came from her lived experience. I mean, she talks about her uh, patriarchal household uh, and, and, and when she says patriarchal household, she just doesn't, she's not just talking about her father. She's talking about a, a household in which patriarchy uh, is pervasive. And so what that means is that even the women in the family are complicit. So it came from her lived experience. It came from her reading feminist texts which critique the institution of marriage. So I think it came always from her lived experience, but also from her critical thinking and her deep intellectual engagement with notions of, of oppression. We're talking with Dr. Beverly Guy Sheftal, Professor of Women's Studies and Founding Director of the Women's Research and Resource Center at Spelman College, also an adjunct professor at Emory University's Institute for Women's Studies and President of the National Women's Studies Association. We're talking about the life and legacy of writer and educator and feminist Bell Hooks, who passed away Wednesday. And I want to bring into the conversation now Dr. John A. Powell, director of UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute and professor of law, African-American and ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. Dr. Powell, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, one of the things that um, Bell wrote a lot about was love. And of course, all about love is a work that many have turned to, especially at difficult moments in their lives. And I wanted to ask you about something you once said about Bell Hooks, which which you described her as someone who uh, sort of as as love in all its complexity. And I wonder what you meant by that. Well, uh, Belle, and um, she thought a lot about love. In fact, um, at, at some point she said that she wouldn't define herself uh, if she had to claim an identity, which she, you know, she believed that we have multiple identities, and I think that's right. Uh, but it wouldn't be primary 
feminists or primary anti-racist, it would be primary, primarily organized around love. And she felt like the way forward uh, was through love. The way to deal with domination was through love. But she also said love was hard. Um, and uh, she talked about, it's easy to love people you like. How do you, how do you love people that you don't like? How do you love people? And she talks about her, one of the things I loved about Belle uh, and um, is she, she critiqued these systems without confusing them with the people. So when she critiqued white supremacy, she wasn't saying all the people who are phenotypically white are white supremacists. The point that uh, uh, Beverly just made in terms of uh, when she critiques uh, patriarchy, she's not just talking about men, she's talking about a system. Uh, and I think that's really important because I think sometimes when we critique these systems, we also assume they're the same as the people. Mm -hmm. uh, so she had, uh, so she had an expansive view of love, and she felt like that was really our our deep grounding. Um, she she calls herself a Christian Buddhist, um, uh, and and she practiced seriously. Yeah, there's so much in what you said that's actually reminding me of a cut of tape that we have where she talks about love and she talks about men. And I'd like to play that now. We've always thought of our heroes as having to do with death and war. And, you know, when we think of Joseph Campbell and the whole idea of the heroic journey, it's rarely a journey that's about love. It's about, you know, deeds that have to do with conquering, domination, what have you. And so, Part of what I wanted to say to people is that living as we do in a culture of domination, to truly choose to love is heroic. To work at love, to really let yourself, you know, understand the art of loving. She is there kind of doing what you just described, um, John Powell, where she's talking about patriarchy in the system that men are subject to, and at the same time talking about love and the role of love. Um, in in addressing some of those things. And she also, you're reminding me of another quote of hers when you talk about how she did not see white people as white supremacists per se, but she was always talking about, about systems and holding people accountable, yes, for... Um, for systems that they perpetuate, but never forgetting the person. So for example, I think in a conversation with Maya Angelou, she said something like, for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? Is that what you were thinking about, John Powell? Yes, it is. And, and you know, part of it, you know, I was thinking about Bell the last, actually, most of last night, but um, it's hard to put her in a box. You know, she, she, uh, she had, we now talk about fluid identities and fluid, gender fluid, fluidity and intersectionality. Bell lived all of those. Uh, and so she was willing to, um, yes, talk about white supremacy, but she then would say, I have uh, wonderful friendships with white conservative men. Uh, and so sometimes people would take exception to that. It's like, what is he doing here? And, and the conversation I had with her, it's like, this person's not cool. And she's saying, that's not a predicate to love. Uh, and so she's really challenging us to do both things, hold people accountable, but to hold them. 
to mm. hold, hold on to the, their humanity. And uh, as you know, I'm the director of the Othering and Belonging Institute. And belonging, she talked about love as a way of uh, uh, getting to belonging and belonging without othering. So she was wanting to hold on to all people, even while she held us, was saying, we have to be held accountable. And more importantly, we have to hold these systems accountable for what they're doing to our earth, to us, uh, and um, to each other. We're talking with John A. Powell, director of UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute, and Beverly Guy Sheftall, professor of women's studies and founding director of the Women's Research and Resource Center at Spelman College. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Share your thoughts on what Bell Hooks and her work means to you. Is there a favorite book or quote of hers in particular that sticks with you? Or do you have a memory of encountering her work and how it impacted you? And actually, we did have uh, some listeners share their thoughts in comments and also in voicemail. And I want to share this voicemail from Lisa Gray, who commented on the impact of Bell Hooks. Lisa Gray is from Oakland. Here she is. My name is Lisa Gray, and I'm the executive director of the Voices of Our Nation's Arts Foundation, an organization dedicated to elevating and amplifying the voices of writers of color. I first met Bell Hooks when I was an undergrad at Spelman College. We were assigned teaching to transgress in one of my classes, and it really opened my eyes in terms of what it means to engage in the act of educating others. More importantly, works like Bone Black helped me frame who I am as a black woman in America. I see that as a liberation text, a text that allows us to embrace ourselves as black women in a place and a space that doesn't always value or acknowledge who we are. I'm so saddened on the death of this scholar, this cultural critic, this woman who embodies and embraces what it means to be Black in America. Beverly Guy off frame who I am as a Black woman in America. That's a pretty major accomplishment in terms of helping people. It is. I want to underscore something John Powell said uh, that reminds me of something that Professor Robin, Kellen, Robin Kelly said. He referred to Bell as a love warrior. And that seems to be an oxymoron, a love warrior, a warrior for love. In addition to which she was a warrior for um, not just black folk, but poor folk, working class folk, indigenous folk, uh, men. So um, this, this, this idea that anybody could speak for all of those human beings in the world uh, in the ways that Gloria did and always of course at the forefront at the center was a plight of black folk and particularly the plight of black women uh, is one of the reasons that there's this outpouring of love and reverence for her over the past day which is just extraordinary I don't know if, if John feels the same way it, it has been it has been one of the things that has made my sadness go away Hmm. Well, I'm so it's glad to hear that. Loved More on herself. Bell Hooks after the break. This is Forum. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Coming up Monday on Forum, we talk to NPR investigative reporter Tim Mack about his new book, Misfire, Inside the Downfall of the NRA, about the embezzlement, clashing egos, and culture of abuse under NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre, and how financial misconduct may be what brings the once powerful gun rights group down. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqbd.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and check us out on Instagram. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the life and legacy of Bell Hooks, who passed away Wednesday. And we're doing that with Dr. Beverly Guy Sheftall, Professor of Women's Studies and founding director of the Women's Research and Resource Center at Spelman College. And Dr. John A. Powell, director of UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute and professor of law and African-American and ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. And you, our listeners, are joining us, sharing what Bell Hooks and her work meant to you. 866-733-6786 is the number. Email address forum at kqed.org. And you can always post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. And let me go to the phones. Let me go to Corinne in Oakland. Hi, Corinne. Carl. Hi, Corinne. Thank you for calling in. Go ahead with your thoughts. I just wanted to point out one of the most impactful things that um, now Ancestor Bell Hooks brought to light, and it's the idea of shame and shame not being of love and shame actually being a tool of white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy in a way that causes trauma and produces paralysis and keeps women in particular from from showing up without their mask. And that's been impactful for my life as a woman. Corinne, thanks. Beverly Guy Sheftal, what do you think of what Corinne is saying about about shame and how Bell Hook showed how much it could hold people back, black women back? Dr. Guy Sheftal? In, in connection with that, I would say that Bell was always vulnerable and always comfortable revealing her own weaknesses, she would cry in public. She would um, name some of her own inadequacies. 
And I think, and, and, and basically would say, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being just like you are. And I think that that enabled folks like the last caller to connect to her at a deeply personal level. You know, despite the fact that she's a professor, she's an icon, she's written 30 books. I think people connected to her like a sister or like an aunt. And so, uh, yeah, talking about shame, talking about dysfunctionality, talking about therapy, talking about trauma. She did this very, very comfortably and brought people in. And I think it was also her way of saying, I love you. Mm. I love you. Johnny Pell, how do you, how do you interpret this quote that Bell attributed to Bell? Marginality is much more than a site of deprivation. In fact, I was saying just the opposite, that it is also the site of radical possibility, a space of resistance. And of course, this is in her work, Marginality as a Site of Resistance. Well, I think one of the things that Bell is pointing to is that um, in her famous quote, Margins at the Center, uh, is that to have a, have a critical distance um, can be a site of liberation. Um, and you know, on one hand, we think of the center and wanting to be in the center. And what Bell is suggesting that maybe, maybe we don't want to be in the center. We want to transform uh, the center and marginality. Uh, and so marginality becomes a site of uh, re uh, resistance and liberation. And I also want to just go back to what Beverly said. I mean, Bell is actually very interesting and, and um, her vulnerability, I think was, uh, she took things like vulnerability uh, from the margin. And now it's no longer on the margin as much. Right? People can begin to talk about vulnerability, uh, not just in our private lives, but in our public lives and the academy itself. She took love uh, and, and took it out of a sort of a, in a sense, closeted space and made it part of the public discourse. She took family, uh, the black family, so one of the things to me is that she takes shame and marginality and puts a light on it. Uh, and by putting a light on it in her own life, talk about her own dysfun dysfunctional family, uh, things that most of us are not inclined to do. We've all heard, heard the phrase of, you know, don't air your dirty laundry. But uh, in a sense, Bell would say there is no dirty laundry, or we all have dirty laundry, and it's important to air. Uh, and that's a sense of marginality in terms of emotions, marginality in terms of uh, family, marginality in terms of oppression. The last thing, she said, most trauma doesn't happen at the, at the at, at a personal level, doesn't happen through the lens of, uh, a pure lens of white supremacy. It happens through the lens of family, people who are mm -hmm. close to you. Uh, and to me, that's very powerful. Um, so she's inviting us actually talk about this. And in a sense, we're much more comfortable talking about capitalism than talking about our dysfunctional family. Well, Lydia writes, my favorite works are Where We Stand, Class Matters, All About Love, and As an Educator, Teaching to Transgress. Then I writes, Powell's point about holding systems accountable is so on point. I often think she talks about it so brilliantly in her teaching series. Her last page in Teaching to Transgress is absolutely transcendental, and although written in the 1990s, could not be more relevant in this climate of silencing teachers. This entire series 
demands a modern read. Beverly Guy Sheftall would love to get your reaction to that last comment. And the relevance of teaching to transgress today. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, when you, when you, when you, when you, critical race theory, for example, would be an example of teaching to transgress. And think about the ways in which it is under attack. Um, Bell really did understand the power of teachers and the power of naming, as John said, naming, naming the systems of domination. And she thought that we should talk about these in our classes, not just in our college classes, but in K through 12. And so in some ways she was prophetic because think about the ways in which now professors and people who teach about race and capitalism are being literally thrown under the bus. And you have public schools all over the country banning, banning books about slavery. So she really did understand that teachers had the power to not just transform their, their classrooms, but also transform society. Yes, uh, education as the practice of freedom was the subheading to teaching to transgress. And, and she was such a um, proponent of critical thinking. I guess that sounds like a funny way to describe it, but just about the transformative power of being a critical thinker and, and having education be a site for allowing people to be critical thinkers, to resist dominant ideas of how they should learn, what they should learn, and how they should grow. I'd like to play a clip of her talking about critical thinking. Here she is. I think thinking critically is at the heart of anybody transforming their life. And I really believe that a person who thinks critically, who, you know, may be extraordinarily disadvantaged materially, um, can find ways to transform their lives um, that can be deeply and profoundly meaningful in the same way that someone who may be incredibly privileged materially and in crisis in their life may, be, may remain perpetually unable to resolve their life in any meaningful way if they don't think critically. We're talking about bell hooks with John A. Powell of UC Berkeley's Othering and Belonging Institute, also a professor of law, and Dr. Beverly Guy Sheftall of Spelman College, founding director of the Women's Research and Resource Center there, as well as a professor of women's studies. And you, our listeners, are with us sharing your comments about what Bell Hooks' work means to you. Lorraine writes, back in the 70s, early 80s, we were activists in our Bronx neighborhood and formed the Bronx Women's Co Coalition. We were working class women. We lived in a neighborhood beset by poor housing, health care, child Childcare and violence. When we read Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman? When we read Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman? We knew we were on the right track, addressing all of our issues as working class women, working to upend capitalism's control over our lives, beginning in our neighborhood. We found our voices in and through her work. Thank you, Bell Hooks, for your profound understanding of the impacts of classism, racism, and patriarchy on our lives. Lorraine, underscoring there, uh, Dr. Guy Sheftall, what you were saying about just her class analysis and how much, how, how impactful that was as well. 
And Paz writes, Bell Hooks didn't have to, but she taught me how to be a good and compassionate man of color and how to live into accountability, something that we will share beyond life and death is our love for the Buddha Dharma. Her recent article in Lion's Roar Toward a Worldwide Culture of Love is so rich and reminds me of something her teacher Thich Nhat Hanh said. The next Buddha will be the Sangha, meaning our liberation is interdependent with love and connection of community. Johnny Paul would love, love if you have any reaction to that, um, but also just to get your thoughts on community. It, she, at one point in teaching community rights, dominator culture has tried to keep us all afraid to make us choose safety instead of risk, sameness instead of diversity, moving through that fear, finding out what connects us, reveling in our differences. This is the process that brings us closer, that gives us a world of shared values, of meaningful community. So that's such a beautiful um, uh, quote. Uh, again, Bill was into radical connectedness. Uh, I was in a, I did a talk with her and I talked about tribes and she came back and said, we have to reject the notion that we're their tribes. We're all, she have, we have to reject the notion that they're others. We're all deeply interconnected. Um, and she practiced that. So it wasn't just that she wrote about it, she talked about her daily practice and her daily practice included reflections, meditation. Uh, and so in one comment, when someone's asking her, how does she deal with not being burned out? She talked about, she talked about Thich Nhat Hanh. She talked about uh, a practice, a spiritual practice. Um, and, and I think this is really important in terms of movement work and in terms of where we are today, because while it's important, I think to really challenge uh, these large systems of domination, patriarchy, uh, capitalism, uh, white supremacy. But I think unless they're grounded uh, in a sense of love and a sense of connecting to people, uh, a sense of spirit, uh, I think they can just become angry. I think they can become divisive. Mm. And Bell was not against anger. She talked about when she met Thich Nhat Hanh, she said, she said to him, I am so angry. And she said Thich Nhat Hanh's response was to say, Use it as compost. <laughs> Use it. <laughs> John Powell, I noticed you also write your name in lowercase letters, and Bell Hooks has said that she, she does that to focus on the substance of writing and not so much the writer. Do you do it for a similar reason? Well, it's interesting uh, that you asked. I mean, in, in one conversation with Bell, one of the things I love about Bell, Someone asked us that question, and she said, her response was, I'm not going to talk about that. And John's been copying me. Uh, well, I'm a little older than Belle. I uh, started that before Belle. <laughs> no, I'm glad to be in her company. Uh, similar, I mean, basically, I thought that not only um, the capitals was actually emphasizing our self-importance. It was an ego statement. Uh, and it was, as I sometimes say, my first venture into the decentered self. Can we be in relationship, not just with each other, and again, this is in Bell's writing, but in relationship with the earth, in relationship with the universe? Uh, and for Bell, it was like, focus on my writing, don't focus on me as a person. Uh, for me, it was, uh, I don't even know, I just did a piece recently with Judith Butler, and she talked about it's not clear where the self starts and stops. Uh, and to me, the capital actually creates a sharp boundary and the lower case suggests that's interconnectedness with each other and with the universe. Hmm. 
We're talking with UC Berkeley's John A. Powell and Spelman College's Beverly Guy Sheftal, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. So just one point, uh, Dr. Guy Sheftal. Uh, yes, she loved everybody, very accepting. In fact, Mike writes here, Hooks importantly stated that feminism is not just for women, likewise gay liberation. Consciousness is not just for gay identified people, but for all people. But she could be pretty hard on Black women. And I'm thinking about her critique of Beyonce, for example, which some have called maybe that she had a very particular view of how Black feminism should be expressed and, and could be kind of hard on women who didn't do it that way. What do you think about that? Before I say something about that, I want to um, just also remember speaking about her commitment to interconnectedness. She was very much impacted by Martin Luther King's concept of the beloved community. So I wanted to also, because we, mm. we we often don't mention um, his impact. We talk about Powell Freire. So I wanted to just mention that. I, 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 I think the, uh, I had many, many conversations with Belle about the Beyonce um, so-called controversy. And I think people really did misunderstand. First of all, I mean, she was, it, it started off with her critiquing the portrait of Beyonce that was on the cover of e either Time or Newsweek. And she talked about the co-optation, the co-optation of, uh, that occurs in popular culture that has a very powerful and negative impact on young people. And she was talking about some of the worst values of American popular culture, celebrity culture, excessive materialism, individualism. And so in that Q&A uh, period when she was on the stage, she said a whole lot of things. And one sentence got pulled out of that comment that Beyonce is a terrorist. And so I think that it'd be interesting to hear what John has to say about that. But, but, but again, I think uh, uh, what Bell said was taken out of context. Uh, I think that she had absolutely no problems critiquing popular culture. And I think that she was also bothered in many ways by the ways in which the term feminism got laid on mm. anybody. Yes. And, and you know, leaning feminism, celebrity feminism. And it, it, it wasn't even so much Beyonce who was calling herself a feminist initially, it was other black women. So I think she got really uh, pilloried uh, and demonized uh, for something very uh, innocuous. Let me ask you, what work did she feel was left for feminism to address and accomplish? You think she well, was really focused on, yeah. I mean, I think she would have, I think she would have still talked about the plight of poor people. Mm. I think she would have talked about the plight of the planet. I think that she would have talked about, and she mentioned this a lot, a lot of lip service, a lot of lip service to change. Mm. But, 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 but what actual change have uh, we brought about uh, in the world around the eradication of heteropatriarchy, racial capitalism, and so forth. So I think that she thought that we had lots of work still left to do and that a lot of our talking was not um, connected to what actually was in the world. And she was prophetic, I think, in that regard. If we think about the state of the world right now, uh, it's, it's, it's almost hard to imagine 
that we've had these movements to eradicate all of these isms and we, we can't get a voting rights act through Congress. And then we're talking about getting rid of legal abortions, getting rid of Roe versus Wade. And we could mention a thousand other things. Yes, lip service to change. Well, I I want to thank you, Dr. Beverly Guy Sheftal, for coming on the show and, and talking about your dear friend, as well as you, John Powell. I know she was a dear friend of yours as well. And so thank you. Um, and we will listen to a, a song that actually Bell Hooks referenced uh, when she was at an Othering and Belonging conference in Berkeley in 2015, John Powell, which is Jackie Wilson's Higher and Higher. Thank you, listeners, for your remembrances. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.